0: Welcome to Legal News and Review, recipient of the Florida Bar Award of Excellence. Legal News and Review, the only real problem-solver radio program using the law, with your moderator, Philip Bell, and hosts and legal panel attorney, Gary Singer, chair of the Broward County Bar Association's Real Property Section. Gary Singer is board-certified in real estate law and a syndicated columnist from the Sun-Sentinel. He is an expert in his field of practice. Now, here's your moderator, Philip Bell.
1: On the docket for today's program, community associations are there to foster safety, integrity of their communities. But technologies change so much. The association, an example, would be electric vehicles, charging stations also there are 33 states now that have legalized <laughs> legal use excuse me of medical marijuana and more are considering making it legal recreational what if that smell is coming into your condominium today from the law firm of eisinger brown lewis frankel and shallot is gregory eisinger who focuses his practice on condominium homeowner and community association law but first I'd like to welcome the legal panelists for today. Filling in for Gary Singer, who's somewhere in the Mediterranean. I'm sure that he's watching us on Facebook Live, is Civil Court Judge, 17th Circuit Court, the Honorable Judge Jeff Levinson. Hi, Judge. Nice to see you. Thank you for filling in. Always a pleasure to see Always you. Always tough to fill in for Gary, though. I'm telling you, he's got big shoes. And, and also, abs- attorney Eric Yankwit, or as I call him, Attorney Extraordinaire. Eric Yankwit, thank you for coming in. My pleasure. Wouldn't be a show without you, and I, and I mean that. And, of course, our listeners on 96.9 FM, 103.9 FM, 740 AM WSBR, along national listeners on iHeart, TuneIn, and iRadio Now. Please keep those emails coming. And don't forget to check out our podcast, Google Legal News and Review Podcast at Apple. And we come right up. And we have, gosh, it's just over... 20 plus on there and we keep them very recent as well. And don't forget, you can actually watch the the review and you can see past programs. Just Google Facebook Legal News and Review. We're recording today at Kelly Eustall Building in their very own mock Courtroom. You know, you talk about amazing resources and their successes. If you've been severely injured by someone else's negligence, you need justice, just go to justiceforall.com. That's justiceforall.com. Gregory Isinger, Welcome to Legal News and Review. Thank you for having me. My first uh, question was actually a neighbor of mine to ask you this question. It's a very common question you get all the time, and I'm sure our listeners want to know what it is because a lot of them live in association, different so,
2: from homeowners to condos. Greg, what constitutes selective enforcement? Selective enforcement is enforcing the documents, the exact provision of a document, against two different people separately. Yeah. For instance, if you're going to let some people have animals, then you're gonna to have to let other people have animals. If you're going to let one person paint their house green, you're gonna to have to let other people paint their house green. It's not enforcing the documents, one provision against one person, one provision against a different person. It has to be the exact same provision being enforced differently against two separate people. Well, you mentioned dogs. Uh, in the news,
1: it seems like every month something comes up regarding service animals. Yes. Uh, like University, uh, FAU, Florida Atlantic University. I'm not kidding. There's somebody that has a pony in the dorm, a small little uh, miniature horse.
2: Miniature horse. Yeah. Correct. And they have to allow it because of a doctor's note. Well, there's actually a distinction between a service animal and emotional support animal. A service animal is only a dog or a miniature horse, mm-hmm. and it's an animal that's trained to do a specific thing. Can't be a cat? It cannot be a cat, but this is for service animals. So the service animal is a seeing-eye dog or a dog that's going to warn um, others if, if mm-hmm. the, the like owner falls or, yeah, correct. Yeah. Like
3: a tool. Exactly. What's a miniature horse do? <laughs>
2: You very know, well-trained animal,
3: very <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I Inter- think you'd be entertain the, the that person. Whoa, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm telling you,
2: emotional support animal though is different, and I believe that's what you're talking about, which is a animal that provides support. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there's animals that don't provide support because this is also a topic of comedians, it seems you know left and right right now. But <laughs> animals that su- provide support right. are very popular, and as long as you have a doctor's note that provides that the animal is helping someone with a disability, uh, cope with that disability, then condominium associations, homeowners associations must make exceptions, must make a reasonable accommodation and allow this, uh, emotional support animal to reside in the condo or. So even if the condo documents say no
4: animals, no pets allowed in the entire building, they still have to allow one of those two categories.
2: Yep, it doesn't matter what animal, and for like an emotional, like an emotional support animal, we have seen peacocks, we have seen squirrels, we have seen every type of dog, vicious or not, you know, cats, rabbits, everything around. How huh.
4: scrutinous do, uh, can they be with the medical support? I mean, is that something that they can
2: look behind, or you have to t- basically accept it summarily? They have to accept it summarily, and what's worse, and and look, there are people that absolutely need emotional support animals. However, the privilege is being abused right now, and the legislature hasn't attacked it yet. Um, All you need to do is have a medical provider provide a letter, and that medical provider doesn't even have to live in your state. People can go online, and You're they kidding. can nope, nope. They can go online. They can have a five-minute Skype interview with someone that has a medical license, um, psychiatrist, right. any type of doctor, and any doctor, any doctor, any so. doctor. I, I've seen podiatrists. <laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding. I've seen a podiatrist say this. You know, uh, I have a patient. He suffers from you know he, from some type of foot disease, right. and he's depressed. And we need him to have this animal reside with him to help with alleviate with his depression. And wow. the association has no recourse? No recourse at all. They can't ask for additional information, or they're very limited to what they could ask for. Um, but the HIPAA laws prohibit asking for actual medical uh, analysis and, you know... It, you know, extent. it's interesting. I know this is kind of off-topic
4: a little mm-hmm. bit. But we go into, the, into the, the foods, the food markets. You know, you go into Publix, and you see these... Quote service animals in the store, you know, walking around, prancing around, around the food, and it it seems a little disturbing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I've seen that. I've seen them put them in the cart, see where the kids go. Mm -hmm. Well, I haven't
4: not seen the miniature horse in there, though. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. So, comforting them.
4: You know, um,
2: glad about that. Go to Alabama and you'll see a few of them walking around. Yeah.
1: Technologies, and of course, the associations have to stay up and the laws have to stay accountable. Electric vehicles, and Condominium associations. Uh, can they prohibit a unit owner from install, installing electric vehicle uh, charging install, station? A charging station. Charging, charging station. station. I mm-hmm. mean, the governor recently came out and says he wants to have an electric charging uh, highway where people mm-hmm. can you know stop off and charge there as they go throughout Florida.
2: Well, the condominium act, which is statute seven eighteen, was recently amended to basically prohibit. Uh, associations from denying people the right to install an electric charging station. Now, associations can put rules on this. They can put rules governing the safety. They can put rules governing the aesthetic appearance. But as long as they can put the electric charging station in that limited common area um, parking space, then the unit owner has to pay for the installation. They have to pay for the electricity. They have to pay for the insurance. But the association cannot deny them the access to that electric charging Has that created
4: any problems that you've seen? Has there been any issues with that?
2: You know, not many with the electric charging stations because generally it's a good thing. It's a benefit for both parties. In the future, five, ten years, I assume that every single condominium is going to have plenty electric charging stations around. Most of our cars are going to be turning into you know electric cars. So I think it's one of these things where... Maybe it's going to slowly develop, but no one's fighting against the electric electric charging station. I've
3: tripped over the extension cord a few times, though.
4: I mean, also, you wonder if there's a. You want to make sure it's up to code. You weren't about a uh, fire hazard as a result. Each sure. times you put electricity out there, and mm-hmm. that's of some concern, I think. Well,
1: you know, in the news for years, talking about secondhand smoke, right? Um, now, if an owner of a neighbor uh, next door who has a. a medical marijuana license to to use, I mean, in my day, they used to call it contact highs. Mm -hmm. You're not smoking it, but if it's around you, you're going to feel it as well. Is there anything a board can do to stop these people from smoking marijuana or even cigarettes in in the condominium building, in their own unit?
2: And, you know, I, I want to attack this as smoking in general. Okay, good. And because the fact is, you know, whether it's marijuana or cigarette smoke, If that smoke is traveling into your unit, you no longer can use your unit the way it's intended. You don't have that peaceful enjoyment of that unit. And this has become a really big problem over the last 10, 15 years as smoking has kind of had this very negative uh, condensation. And people are now saying, look, I, I have the right to breathe fresh air wherever I am. And if your neighbor is smoking cigarettes, marijuana, and it's getting into or even your or you're
1: vaping, I understand. I read, read about that. And
2: and yeah. vaping, I guess, doesn't have as as much of a smell or much of a, a travel. So that irritant. is a right. So, it does have an irritant. Yeah. And you know, more importantly, I mean, tobacco smoke, the secondhand smoke, is harmful. Um, we've had many cases where there's people with cancer that are living next to a a a heavy smoker, and the smoke is just pouring through the air vents, going under the doors. And over the last 10 years, we've actually amended a lot of condominium documents um, to prohibit smoking in certain areas of the condominium. Uh, whether it's no smoking in your unit, you have to go outside and smoke in a designated smoking area. Right. Whether it's you're not allowed to smoke anywhere but your unit. And if you smoke in your unit, you must install door flaps or air purifiers. Oh. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a bunch of condominiums being developed that are just no-smoking condominiums in general, and that's become very popular. Question,
4: you know, when you make these changes, someone buys the condo relying on the fact that, say, there are smokers, they can smoke in their apartment or they can smoke in their condo, and then you change it midstream,
2: what recourse do they have, if any? So we haven't been contested yet on that fact, and actually most of the amendments that we pass grandfather in the people that already live there so we basically say look we're not going to take away the people's right that already live there to smoke (laughs) but going forward anyone that moves into this building can no longer smoke and they could make reasonable restrictions such as look if you're a smoker and we pass this amendment then now you have to smoke in this area or you have to put a flap on your door and keep the smoke inside your unit contained and and you have to pay for that That issue because, look, it's a nuisance. And condos will sue these people that are causing nuisances to the rest of the owners. Along those
4: lines of suing, um, with most condo actions, can you go
2: directly to court or is there an administrative process that you have to go through? Well, it depends. Florida Statute 718.1255 basically says that there are certain things that must be sent to the DBPR, the Department of Business and Professional Regulation, and goes in front of an arbitration, a non-binding arbitration process before it can be brought in front of a court. And it it works sometimes and it doesn't work sometimes because a lot of uh, occasions you file this DBPR action and it gets dismissed right away. They say, look, it's not going to settle. We don't really think this is ripe for the DBPR. And then it just gets brought right to circuit court. But those um, actions that must be brought to the DBPR involve the association making someone in the condominium do something with their unit. Um, so whether it's, hey, you have to remove a door lock from your unit that wasn't properly installed. You have to bring that to the, to the DBPR before you can just file it in circuit court. So or, if you, if you file it in court...
4: You're going to be you're going to be kicked out because you have to go through that process first.
3: Correct. So the biggest nuisance to me is my uh, Airbnb neighbor. My neighbor is uh, not at home. He's renting out his place to every Tom, Dick, and Harry book his place online. Well, don't
1: be sexist and marry. Because and I mean. marry, sure. <laughs> you're right. So how do we
2: work with that when it's a condo unit or a homeowners association? It's very difficult because by the time you catch the person. Coming in the unit, you say, wait, there's someone illegal or unauthorized that's there. They're already gone in two days. Right. Right. So what we suggest and what we advise our clients is if you suspect someone is Airbnb in their units, find that Airbnb listing online. Take a copy of it. Print out a copy. You send the demand letter. You say next time we have we see someone that's not authorized, we're immediately filing a lawsuit. We have the proof that you're putting it up for rent. We will take pictures of people that aren't authorized going in and out. We will document all this and you have to be very vigilant and you have to catch the people as soon as they come in and get a lawsuit filed right away. And you can get an injunction from the court basically saying, look, we know that you've been Airbnb-ing. That's against the constituent documents, the governing documents. And we're going to make you pay the condo's attorney's fees Wow. You are not allowed to do this anymore. If we catch you doing it anymore, you may have to pay additional sanctions, and that generally stops basis? What's the legal basis for the uh, attorney's fees? Well, the legal basis for the attorney's fees would be in the governing documents. Almost every single set of governing documents provide for a prevailing party attorney's fees provision, as well as Florida Statute 718.303, I believe, also has a prevailing party attorney's fees provision for filing a lawsuit based on either the condo act or the governing documents more and
1: more contracts have arbitration clauses is that also a a trend within homeowner associations
2: not really it's just it's just that um mandatory arbitration that you would have to go to if it's a dispute as defined by the condo act it's governed by the condo act that oversees mm-hmm. the uh the contract so they want to give
4: people access to courts but they also want to set up a scheme so people can get um, results
2: or uh, you know in a, in a fast and an efficient way it's sure. expensive to file a lawsuit and what the legislature said is look you know condo associations are pulling money from a bunch of different people they're kind of the you know, the, the big company, the big corporation compared to the one unit owner. So let's make it easier for a dispute so it's not too expensive for the unit owner. Let's put it in an a arbitration that's not going to be as expensive and kind of puts them on a level playing field. Give us an idea how many people are, are in condos,
4: uh, homeowner associations in Florida, and that, how does that compare to the rest of the country?
2: So I believe it's it's about 60 or maybe even 70% are in community associations in Florida. It's the most, uh, you know, the highest percentage in the country. Over 10 million people in Florida live in community associations, and I believe that number is even higher in South Florida. And is that uh, peculiar to Florida? Is it
4: in most other states, they don't have the same numbers?
2: No. Florida has by far the most out of everywhere in the country. Um you know, in places like New York, it's co-ops. Co-ops are pretty unusual in South Florida, aren't they? Yes, yes. And it's difficult to get
1: financing and so forth. Mm-hmm. For
2: and they're they're kind of dying out. No one's developing co-ops anymore.
1: Mixed-use properties, though, are an upswing. Yeah. I mean, yes, they a, are. They but
2: are. I have found it's
4: almost impossible to get a... Uh, Um, any kind of financing or mortgage Mm -hmm. in a co-op. It's very commonplace up in New York, but it's something that they're not used to, the banks are not used to here in
2: South Florida. We've seen that, yep.
3: Now about the Homeowners Association board members or the Condo Association board members, they they make some rulings, they have some meetings, some
2: are open, some are closed.
3: What's the difference? How does that all work?
2: So, right, the, the condo associations, homeowner associations are governed by a board of directors. Those board of directors are elected. It's, it's like a, a little mini-government where all the people in the condo, they get together. They uh, vote every year or every two years, depending on what the bylaws say. And then the board of directors forms. The board of directors elects officers. So they'll elect a president, a vice president, a treasurer, secretary. And they govern the association. The board of directors generally has power to make rules and regulations. And the rules and regulations can be almost anything that doesn't contradict their declaration of condominium, um, which could only be amended by the vote of the unit owners. Um, And so getting back to your question as to the different board meetings, a regular board meeting is just the board and everyone, all the members of the association are entitled to come and listen to what the board is going to talk about. Um, and if it's a closed-door board meeting, meaning none of the members are allowed, then an attorney has to be present and you have to be speaking about legal matters or personnel matters, you know, hiring, firing employees. Okay, so there's nothing uh, nefarious going on. Because are there, what, what's the requirement for hopefully minutes? Hopefully not. What's the requirement for minutes? So all minutes must be taken at all board members, even, uh, all board meetings. Even the one that's, that's uh, not open? It's, it's, um, I'm trying to think of the word, but yeah, it's, you have to take the minutes. The minutes have to be part of the records, but the records are not accessible to the other unit owners. So it's kind of a pointless, um, impractical thing that the legislature maybe has a You mean for the on? closed meetings, you mean? Correct. Yeah, correct. but
4: arguably, though, they would be available if something came up and there was some allegation of something untoward, there would be something to document it, and then at some point, they there have to be retained, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, so that if they had to be used in, a, in litigation or otherwise, they'd be available.
2: Right, right. If, if there ever is litigation that somehow that board meeting, what was talked about at that board meeting, which generally is attorney-client privilege in the first place, mm. um, if they're speaking about legal matters, so it's not going to be producible unless maybe the two board members are fighting about something and they sue each other and then what happened at that meeting becomes relevant in that case and non-discoverable at that point because how often you see uh self-dealing on the behalf of the uh
4: the uh the board members or the uh, the officers in other words exploiting their position to some financial benefit
2: the legislature has recently passed things to prohibit this. Um, If there's a board member that has a company, well, his company can't be doing work for the association. So the legislature has done a good job eliminating this. So it's per se a violation. They cannot do that. Yes, yes, they cannot. And if even if it's a friend's company, so if you're on the board of directors and you have a friend that's a a uh, roofer and you want to hire your friend, you would have to abstain from that vote and the rest of the board would have to vote on that issue.
1: Was it true the board is not required to get open bids on, on anything that they deem that they like the person for the last 20, 10 years and they're going to continue liking working with them, Well, even though he's the most expensive?
2: In regard to bids, yeah. there's, I believe, only two reasons why you would need bids. It would be if the... Um, The contract would take more than a year to to achieve, or if it's 5% or more than the annual budget. Oh, wow. But but the association doesn't even have to use the highest or the lowest bid. They can still use whatever contractor they want, but they would be required to get bids. Um, This does not apply for contracts for attorneys or managers or accountants, but other maybe roofers, um, that's going to take a long time, or painters. Uh, those would well, require bids. Board members, it's a thankless job. It's something that, uh,
1: quite frankly, I served once and never again. I mean that. And I understand, in my day in 1991, when we moved here. Again, from Phil, Illinois, you're dating yourself. I know, I'm telling you. <laughs> but
2: I understand that uh, board members have to have some cert- certification. How do they do that? Well, there's two ways either they can attend a board certification class, which our firm provides. Oh, really? Yes, yes. How costly is it? Board certification classes are free. We provide it as a a free service. Other condo attorneys will provide it as well. Um, We provide them up and down the state. Are we done monthly, quarterly? We usually do a few in the beginning of the year, a few at the end of the year, and it slows down during the summer because there's generally not elections Um, because these board certification classes are generally, well, they have to go to within 90 days of becoming a board member. Is this more like a
1: public service, or do I have to retain your your law firm in order to get the... uh it's a, it's a public service. It's wow. a good thing. That, That's great.
2: I, I mean, first of all, the, the board members are unpaid volunteers. <laughs> right. They generally, most of the time, have no idea what they're getting themselves into. They
1: don't. We get abused continuously. Mm-hmm. I believe I was threatened to be sued at least a half a dozen times. I said, great, I'll just raise the assessment.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and if they don't want to do the board certification class, they could sign a document acknowledging that they've read all of the constituent documents and will abide by them. But we always recommend them attend the class. Right.
1: Again, the, the, uh, the association is in charge to, to make sure property values are maintained, security and safety for those that live in the community. And as we just pointed out, it is a thankless job for those that actually serve mm-hmm. as well. Um, we only have two minutes left here.
4: Is there a time when uh, they have to have the election? Is it a specific time frame,
2: or can they have it any time during the year? Well, an election is uh, most condominiums, homeowner associations, have elections every year. But some bylaws say it's every two years. Well, is there a time of the year they have to have the election? It would be in the bylaws. So the bylaws oh. would say every single year on January 2nd, we need to have a annual meeting and an election. Um, sometimes, and what we would recommend is because a lot of the older documents provide for that specific day where it says the first Wednesday of January or on you know the first Thursday of February, we would advise our clients to switch that to give them some leeway so they can schedule a meeting where more people are going to attend and participate
1: you know we never have enough time especially for this issue as well we're going to be starting some additional podcasting it's a new platform that we're going to be doing with the program where we're going to continue off the year, but for the podcast as well and we'd like to invite you back to take take advantage of that i think you would enjoy it and be great at it you know gregory eisinger you're a partner at Isinger, Brown, Lewis, Frankel, and is it pronounced shallot? Chet, Very good. And um, your father is also a well-known attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, Are you related to the former mayor yes. of Cooper City?
2: Yes. Yes. It,
1: you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, have, uh, I was not aware.
2: Politics and attorneys. Yeah.
1: It's nowhere in your resume, but I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is the best way, Greg, to get in touch with you and your firm?
2: Well, Our firm's website is eisingerlaw.com, E-I-S-I-N-G-E-R, law.com. My phone number is 954-894-8000. Oh, that's easy. Email address geisinger at eisingerlaw.com. And if you ever need any condominium, homeowner association, or Other community association work please give us a call and thank you thank you to all of the board members that are serving their unpaid volunteer time we really really
1: appreciate it you betcha you betcha and i just want to clarify you represent the associations you don't represent individual homeowners against the associations
2: for the most part correct
1: for the most part as well Mm -hmm. you know eric it goes by too fast but i think we we found a way to extend the segments cost effectively and give back more to information the community needs to know. I think people will find it very interesting. I I do. I do. Because, again, this is information people need to know even though they don't know when they need it. (laughs) Gregory, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And, Judge, what can I say about you? The courts already have it. (laughs) Thank you so much. I mean... Thank you for
4: having me and, you know, anytime you need me, I'm happy to be
1: here. Appreciate it. Well, Eric, it always goes by again so fast. And remember, put down your cell phone. This is Broadcast during drive time. time. Don't text and drive. You know, the life you may save may be my own. (laughs) And remember, be legal.
0: You've been listening to the award-winning legal news and review, recognized by the Florida Bar's Award of Excellence. To contact the legal panel hosts and guests, go to BeLegalBuzz.com. And to reach Gary Singer, board-certified real estate and syndicated columnist, appearing in 400 media outlets, including the front page of the money section every Monday in the Sun Sentinel, from the law firm of Gary M. Singer, PA, call 954-851-1448 for legal news and review. Remember, be legal.